This is Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. The topic for today's episode is what small businesses should be focusing on when they are not resource rich. Here to speak with me is Brett Day, who is the CEO at Helms Boots, a men's footwear company that crafts reliable boots that look good, not perfect for every style and occasion. Brett is a transformative small and mid-sized business operator focused on scaling up operations and best practice for high growth or turnaround organizations within the consumer products industry. He has extensive experience with large multinational organizations, subsidiaries, and ownership advertisement for small growth-focused startup organizations. Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, Brad, before we dive deeper into today's topic, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in your career and, and what led you to Helms Boots? Yeah, it's uh, it's probably not the the traditional path of somebody would would take to get into the entrepreneurial small business world. But I uh, I'm an Oregonian, grew up in, here in Oregon, and uh, was lucky enough to find myself in Portland after after college. And uh, in Portland, there is no shortage of large consumer products companies, specifically in the footwear and athletic industry. And landed a job right out of school with Adidas here and. Started doing data entry. Uh, it was a terrible job, but at, at that time in life, it was an exciting opportunity, a, a foot in the door at a company that I, that I loved. I was a soccer player, and um, so it was fantastic. And so I spent then the next 16 years with, with Adidas and spent four or five years over in Germany kind of doing my... Uh, my stint over there in the, in the motherland and then came back and uh, spent another five years here working in the States. And so spent 16 years doing all different jobs and working in different categories and different functions, uh, working all over the world and um, was just amazing. Met my wife at Adidas. So it was kind of this you know transformative time in, in, in my life uh, as I kind of grew up really within that brand. Um, and then about five, six years ago, we found ourselves in Austin and got got this opportunity to to join this small startup. And I'd always wanted to run a company and, and be part of um, you know, something in that in that space and, and really see what if I had this entrepreneurial um, component inside of me. And so I had the opportunity to join a, a small you know, leather footwear company based in, in, in Austin, Texas, and, and took that opportunity. And so it's been six uh, interesting years, I can say the least, uh, we're kind of looking on this side as you go from, you know, 19, $20 billion organization to small startup um, with, you know, very limited resources. Was it a culture shock? I think it was an everything shock. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, you know, it was a, a culture shock for sure, right? You, um, you're entering a, a small team in, with, several different personalities. And that's the thing with, with any organization, but all of those, you know, the components of individual personalities are just magnified when there's less people, right? You can, you know, you're in, you know, working for Adidas in, in Germany, right? And I know, you know, that's, that's kind of where you're, you're from, um, you know, different culture, right? But you have a bunch of people from different cultures there. And so when you enter a small team, it is, 
know, a brand has an identity and they have their own culture and, and you have to, you have to fit in, but you also have to kind of evaluate and try and steer and change culture. You know, that's part of the reason why you're there. So everything was kind of a shock, um, going from, from that big to, to this small. Yeah. Is it right to say that probably at, at Helms Boots, when you started, maybe it's still the same, that several tasks sit on in the one individual's shoulder. So when you work at, at big organizations like Adidas, you know, or for myself, I work for big global media agencies. Yeah. You, you usually have a focus. You, there's a focus yeah. area that, that, that you're responsible for. But when you work at a smaller company, it's not just the focus area. There are other areas that you have to cover. Yes. Hundred percent. I mean, you use me. You're the old term. Uh, everybody's got to wear several hats for a small business, and it's really true, right? And I don't think I really realize that. You know how how much help and support you have when you're at these big companies. I'll use an example. When when I when I joined, we landed Zappos, right? Big footwear account and um, big opportunity for us. And and I had I had worked with Zappos before when I was at Adidas, but you know you would. You would take the order, you'd sell the product, and then you would pass it along. And you'd have a you know, customer service team that would facilitate the order. And then you know, they'd pass it to the finance team who would collect the money. And then there was a whole logistics warehouse arm that would pack it and you know, distribute it and, and all of those things. And here we are. We've got to figure out how to actually process the order. And there's some special system we've got to download. And we've got to take you know, 500 boots out of the back office and individually pack them in box. I mean, it just everything you have to do. And that's just really the nature of being in a, a small business that has few resources. Your resources are limited. You've got to choose you know, how you deploy them and that's people and money. And, and you end up having to do a lot of things yourself and you have to learn how to teach yourself how to do a lot of things because there's just no one else to do them. Yeah. You can't be afraid right, of, of learning something new. You just have to dive in head first. Well, it's the, it's, you can't be afraid, but you also, you have to kind of really thrive on it, right? If you're, you know, it's, I use this example, like, and, and you might probably appreciate this when, when you travel internationally, right? The first time you go, it's, it's a little scary and intimidating, but then you, you have that like one amazing experience where you kind of walk into a restaurant, you struggle with the language, you build this rapport with people and you just figure out how to communicate and have an amazing meal. And, and you really get a lot of energy and you have to really like thrive off of that. And that's the same thing with a small business. You have to really thrive and, and, and get energy out of the challenge of like, okay, here's something I don't know how to do. Who do I ask? How do I figure it out? Cause we've got to get it done. And then like, you, you know, it's the opposite of not being afraid. You got to like really thrive on kind of that challenge. Um, Cause there's no other way to get it done. Yeah. Now, what was one of the biggest surprises in the early days? So when you when you move from from your big corporate environment to the small uh, Helms Boots environment, I think the probably the the biggest one was how you prioritize what you're going to focus on. Right? It is kind of going back to what we just talked about. You can't do everything, and you come from a a big business that has lots of resources, and you come in with these expectations of like, okay operationally, we're going to do this and marketing and find you know, all of these components of the business, but you just can't do them all. And so you have to literally build kind of a priority list of, okay, we're going to start with this one. We're going to do that. And then we move on. And so I think the, the biggest lesson is 
making sure that everyone is aligned on the priorities that they're focused on, right? Because if everybody's kind of off doing the things that they think they should be focused on, you're going to be disjointed. Nothing's going to get done right. And again, all of those people that are helping you do everything, they're also doing several different jobs, right? So having like clear organization, clear goals, uh, clear focus, clear alignment are way more important when you're at a small kind of resource strap business because the resources aren't there to get it done unless everybody's aligned because you need help. Yeah. So I assume then technology is something that you probably use a lot in order to keep organization, to keep aligned. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, you kind of come into these companies and you inherit what they have, right? And you inherit some of the technologies and some of the infrastructures. Some of those stay, some of those go. Um, you come from a, a big organization that has all the technology and all the processes. And sometimes that makes you slow and unflexible. And a lot of times it does. It makes you, we've used this, you know, process constipation, right? You're, you can't do anything because you're so stuck in the processes and the organization and the technology. And so it is going back to what are you trying to accomplish, right? And what are, what is the things that you have to have in order to do that, right? You have to, you're going to be in a direct consumer business. You have to have a functional website, right? That has a customer journey that allows customers to flow through there and check out, right? You have to have amazing inventory management and so that you know what you have and don't have to sell. Now there's some, you know, nice to haves of, you know, ERP systems and things that we've had and, and haven't had and loyalty systems and all of these things that you begin to add on as you get bigger and bigger. But it is going back to like, what is the tech? What are the resources? What are the processes that you have to have as you build your foundation? And then how do you layer those on as you get bigger and bigger and bigger? And also like, There's a lot of systems that are great at the beginning. And then there's a lot of amazing systems that you can't afford. And like, how do you navigate kind of the in-betweens? Can you reach and get that system that you know you're going to need in two to three years? Or you kind of like get another system in between. So it is kind of always evaluating how I've approached it. I've always asked people that are smarter than me at this stuff. So whether it's a board member, somebody that I've worked with of like, here's our problem. I don't know enough about IT infrastructures and sales systems or whatever it may be, uh, marketing systems or what do you what do you suggest? Here's what we're trying to accomplish in 6, 12, 18 months. What's a good program? Do you know somebody that could help us implement that? And kind of just play the resource game of because um, you're not going to know everything. Um, so don't try and pretend you do and, and find people that can help you kind of add that technology in that you that you really need for today. How do you decide which areas to potentially outsource, so look for outside vendors yeah. and which areas you try to maybe build out internally or use people that you already have. Because look, when you're at Adidas, there are so many departments in there for things that you now probably need support, but you don't have anyone, right? Yeah. How do you approach that? It's a great question. Um, if, if there are certain, I think, certain aspects of your your business that you would never want to outsource. And for us, you know, and I think that that varies depending on different types of businesses, right? And for us, that was, we were never going to outsource our customer service. Like that one-on-one -on -one connection, how we can solve problems for our customers, how we can proactively engage with them was something that we were never going to do. And so how we rebuilt our organization because the, the organization that I joined and the organization today are very different. We, we blew up the company. We, We looked at our channel strategy, our sourcing. We did it. You know, it's a completely different organization. 
And we went to a small core team that were all really focused on building great product and servicing our customers. And then we surrounded ourselves with experts that are very, very good at one specific thing, one or two specific things, right? So we found somebody who was amazing at paid social, but we would never be able to afford that person full time, but we could get a fraction of her time a web developer, a graphic designer, like all of these different pieces that we would surround our business with, with a talent that we couldn't afford full time, but we can afford a portion of them. And and that's how we elevated kind of everything that we did is we, we brought more a talent surrounding our business, not necessarily in. And as we've grown and we're going through this piece now, as we're evaluating kind of our organization and really coming out of COVID and, taking a deep breath that, oh, well, we survived. We're still here. What's the organization need to look like? What functions do we need to bring in-house? What functions can we afford to bring in-house? But at the same time, realizing, going back to like one of the, the first questions, one of your surprises, when you work at Adidas, you get really, really smart people just about everywhere. And same with a lot of these, these companies because they can afford, but then there's also a passion involved with working for a, a sporting goods brand like that. So how do you get a talent just involved in your business and whether that's rebuilding your board of directors with people that have functional skills, right? So when we shifted to build a, a digitally native direct-to-consumer company, we hired a board member who was a e-commerce marketer, right? He's a CMO in the Bay Area and he's just brilliant. He helped us build the infrastructure. I didn't know how to, how to do that. And so he walked hand in hand with me as we found the right agencies and the consultants and the strategies and things like that. So it is kind of being resourceful with finding talent that can help you with your business. Interesting. Now, what was one lesson, lesson that you learned early that stuck with you? Well, a little bit, I think, of kind of what I just talked about is being okay to say, I don't know, mm -hmm. right? Just to, to be, you know, whether it's the investors that put money in you and, and you know, it, it whether you're a CEO or not, like you know, whether you control your company or not, you know, there I, I still answer to people that have have funded this organization and and being confident enough to say, hey, I don't know, let me get back to you. And I will come back with a solution very quickly. But being okay to say that, because I think there is that mindset of I hate this term, but I don't know if there's a better term, the the fake it till you make it, right? And we all do that, right? We all we all work through things. We all act like we know more than we do. And, and there's certain pieces of the business that that's okay, but there's certain pieces of the business that can get you in a lot of trouble if you try and kind of bullshit your way through there, right? And whether it's financial targets, financial promises, you know, ending cash of like, oh, we're going to 10x, you know, all of that stuff. Like you got to be knowledgeable enough to say, hey, this is an area that I don't want to give you the wrong answer. Let me come back to you. Um, and I think that was a, a good lesson kind of early on. I think the other, the other one was looking at everything to scale, right? Not trying to solve things just to get through the problem, but as you're adding a system, hiring somebody, um, changing a channel strategy, you know, landing that big account that, you know, is going to challenge your open to buy, you know, you could, don't just try and figure it out for that, but figure out how everything scales. If we did this over, over, and over, would it be profitable and can we execute it? If we hired this person, does this person still make sense in 12 to 18 months? You know, kind of looking at everything of, I don't know, let me figure it out, but also 
whatever we do with big strategic decisions, will the final output be able to scale as we go bigger, right? Because that's a danger that you kind of look at things, you take low margin opportunities, um, you find yourself a little too reliant on one account that, that doesn't have high mo- margin profiles and you you find yourself stuck in a, in a business that's not going to scale or ever be profitable, which is never a good thing. Now, we talked about this a little bit, or at least we touched on on kind of limited resources and, and you know when to make a decision on using outside vendors. But with the people that you have, how do you approach prioritizing certain parts of the business and allocating those to the resources that are you know available to you? You've got to you've got to have a clear clear alignment on what you're trying to accomplish, right? And I think that is you know whether it's we want big growth next year, you know we're trying to get to profitability. We're going to have small growth and just maintain or, or whatever it is. You've got to have a clear understanding of what you're trying to accomplish out of the business. And then what are the things that are absolutely necessary in order to accomplish that? And those become everybody's priorities, right? And you know that we can't function unless we have emails that are firing, you know, proper email back and stock flows and welcome series and you know, campaigns that are going out and a paid social and, you know, a website that's functional and uh, you know, all of those different components. We know we can't run a direct to consumer business and grow at the rate that we're planning on growing without those. So all of those things are prioritized amongst the resources we have. Then, and, and everybody at Helm would laugh, I'm full of like projects and things that we want to do and all this other stuff that I keep throwing. I'm like, Oh, here's this new program. Here's this, like, here's another account. It's like, hold on. I've got to do all these other things first and then we can get to it if we can. But, or you have to be very clear of this is a priority over that. But I think it is, you know, we've been able to navigate, you know, being a small business that doesn't make any money traveling through COVID being cash strapped, like all these things we've been able to navigate because the core team is all pretty aligned on what they should be focused on to achieve a shared goal. Um, then everything else is would be nice to have if we could get to it. Was it easier with a kind of a core focused team to navigate COVID than if you would have been at a, I don't know, I think how many people are you guys at the moment? 12, 15, something like that? We're, we're at core, we're eight. Okay. So we're still pretty small and then we have... You know, at one time, Elm was 15 um, okay. and we, we narrowed it down. I do think, you know, I don't know. I mean, everybody had a different experience during COVID. I think, you know, my wife is a CMO at a, at a company and sits in the uh, the home office next to me now and, and her company thrived, right? So everybody had a different experience for for our type of business, which is, you know, leather, footwear, a little bit more elevated that's built for people to do things out in the world, which no one was doing. You no, know, we were we were hit really hard, and so mm-hmm. if we had had a big team, or we had chosen 2020 to you know ramp up staff and, and build a big infrastructure and open stores, you know whatever it was, we would have been in serious trouble. But because we were a small core team, we were able to fluctuate some of the outsource resources. We were able to keep the the entire team employed. We redeployed uh, people in their functions. So our store manager wasn't really a store manager. And, and luckily she had a writing background. So she wrote a bunch of blogs and SEO content and, you know, did a lot of like community outreach and engagement. And, and so things like that, we redeployed and were really flexible, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was really, 
lucky in some instances that we had this small core team, but it also made it positive on the same right is because all these decisions of how to navigate COVID, but then also some of the, the social issues that came up during these times, mm-hmm. like we were a pretty aligned team on what we wanted to stand for and how we wanted to say it. And we could have these conversations and it made us easier to, to kind of navigate some of those things collectively. And we, you know, we knew who the group was that were going to be going through this and we knew who was going to come out on the other end if we, if we got it done. And, and that was great. Yeah. So early on, we talked about um, what were your biggest surprises. We talked about what you learned. What are some mistakes you made in yeah. early on um, that you're like, man, if I had known that or. I think, um, you know, COVID is a good example. I, I, I kind of look back and I don't think we made any mistakes. I think there's things we'd probably do differently, but everybody was just kind of making the decision with the, the facts they had in front of them. I think the, the, the two mistakes or things that I would do over is, you know, in small teams, and I think I mentioned this earlier, the connection that the teams have together is so important, right? And so if you have, you know, one person that's not really aligned or doesn't fit into the culture, like that has such an impact. And we all know when that's there. And so I think not moving on from those types of, of people or those that are having such a negative effect on the team fast enough. And, and people always say this, and I think, you know, Netflix, you know, in their manifesto was like hire slow, fire fast, but it really is like, we all know when there's, there's a problem with somebody in our teams. We won't all think that we're like the type of amazing manager that can mentor people and coach them through. And, and you want to give people the benefit of the doubts, but sometimes some people just aren't right for your organization. And, and sometimes they know that more than you do. Right. And so it's kind of this two prong thing of, making sure you move on from, from people and get, you know, get the right resources and for your culture and in your company. Cause again, re- going back to the story, like resources are, are, are uh, scarce, right? And so if you've got one that's not performing or negatively impacting culture, I think, you know, you have to act. I think the other one was probably moving on to a, a larger agency a little faster than we we should have. So we had built this small core team with these, you know, experts at various different things. And at some point the business was moving at a, a growth pace and we were getting to a spot where we needed someone who could holistically look at all of our acquisition channels and uh, uh, kind of our entire performance marketing profile and all of these, these components that could look at those holistically and manage ad buys and all that stuff. We had the ability to add channels with them and, and really grow, right? And comes that with a, a big retainer, a bigger retainer. Um, and you kind of lose a little bit of that, that, that expert one thing, right? And so I think we, we got, we ended up with an amazing agency. They did an awesome job. Um, you know, they kind of landed right before COVID. So it wasn't really on them, but I think it was probably a little too early for us in our size of business and that's the, the personal touch that we got from the, from the, the consultants or the contractors. And, and we've always treated them like extensions to our brand that we have someone who's, who's really part of our, our brand and part of our family um, because we are so small that losing that touch a little bit, I think was probably a mistake. And so we've gone back to that. I think the the right move for us would have been, figuring out how to bring those inside versus finding somebody bigger outside that that can handle that. So 
that's probably something we would have done differently versus out out you know outsource a big retainer of how do we bring somebody inside that can just live and breathe it and more people that can live and breathe it is, is better yeah that makes a lot of sense now what do you think that future looks like for D2C businesses, especially in regards to how people approach acquisition? This is, this is I mean, this is the key question, right? Um, you know, this is what all direct-to-consumer companies are, are faced with or, or companies that play in the direct-to-consumer e-commerce space, right? I, I'm not a, I'm not a e-commerce expert, right? I'm not a, a, a performance marketing. So there's, there's probably better people to, to speak on of, you know, the, the cheapest way to acquire customers and what's the, the future look. I think there's, you know, there's always going to be the next thing, right? And, and I don't know what that is, right? And it was Facebook and, you know, right now it's TikTok and, and that's, you know, and there's going to be the next thing. And there's all of these ways to acquire customers, right? I think what we've seen though, being more important than that, right? And is, do you have a brand? Do you have something that means something to people? Are you building community? Do people relate to your product? Do they relate to you as, as, as a company? Like without those components in that focus, you run the risk of kind of being a, a faceless direct to consumer brand. And I think there's a lot of, we've seen a lot of those companies not come out of COVID, but there's, you know, there's a playbook now, right? And, and, you know, consumer products, you can slap a label on a product that's not that special. And if you've got a marketing engine, man, you can, you can fire that thing up and make a lot of money very fast. Right. Um, I think the future though, for, for brands that are, have a lot of value and whatever you're trying to just build a brand that you're going to own for 50 years, if it's a brand that you're going to try and spin off, be acquired, whatever your goals are, making sure that you're building community and, and have a brand that, that means something to people is going to be just as important of how you acquire customers, right? Because the type of customers that you acquire, do they stick around? Do they purchase again, right? Like all of those components are like, how cool is your brand? Like, do people really relate to it versus I bought a product? It's pretty cool. I like it. And next time I need another product, I'll, I might give them a, a shout, but I'm going to look around, which everybody does versus I love this brand. I love this product, you know, but it's, I love this brand. They treated me great. They did this. You know, I had a problem. My laces broke. They sent me brand new late, whatever it may be, but having that, the relationship and, and being something a little bit bigger than this day in an e-commerce transaction, I think is, is where really valuable direct consumer companies are going to come from and, and focus on yeah, I love I love your last part because I think in in those situations, because we have a lot of price conscious buyers in the market, right? Yeah. Price no longer is an is is a point in in kind of the deliberation phase of whether I buy that shoe over another one, right? If I love a brand, I mean, you know, Apple obviously is the shining company yeah. in that regard, right? Their products are probably compared to others much more expensive, but people still buy it because they love the brand, they love what the brand stands for, and all of that. And I think. That's what you just said. It's, you know, if you build a brand, if the brand has, has kind of a meaning, if it stands for something, then, um, you know, a lot of things that other people get headaches on, you don't have to worry about. I, I read a LinkedIn update yesterday for Allbirds, for example. Um, someone had bought Allbirds shirt and apparently their little puppy the next day after they were delivered 
destroyed one of the shoes because he mm-hmm. shoot for it. So he just texted them and just wanted the coupon code, you know, for a little bit off. And they actually sent him a completely yeah. pair of new shoes. I mean, yeah. that's something that people will keep the mind. And I think the person said, hey, you know what? I actually ordered another pair because that's great customer service. And yeah. that's what I love about this brand, right? Um, Brad, I think we could uh, continue this conversation. Unfortunately, we, we've come to the end of uh, today's podcast episode. Now, thank you so much for joining me on the Performance Silver podcast and sharing your knowledge on, you know, what small business should be focusing on when they are not resource rich. Um, if people want to find out more about you and Helms Boots, how can they go about it? Um, then go to go to the website, website helmboots.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Brad Day, Portland, Oregon. You can find, track me down there. Um, but yeah, I mean, go to the website, you know, send an email to contact at Helm Boots. I, I see every single email that comes in and I, I see, I still have it set up. So I see every order that comes in and, and every email from every customer. I mean, I, I was telling somebody the other day, I still remember when we had our first like kind of marketing consultant come in and, and we sat down and the goal was to go from selling a half a boot a day online to selling one boot per day online. That was our goal when we first started, right? And to see where we've come, right? You know, we. so I, I've seen it all, but I still see every email. So reach in, reach out, I'll, I'll see it. Um, you know, if anybody has any questions or, you know, wants to talk boots, you know, you can find me there. Perfect. And as always, we leave uh, information in the show notes. So it should be easy to find the website or find Brad on LinkedIn. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.